1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the company of gentlemen golfers who played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers who play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skilful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. All right, Colin, we are back with another Silver Club podcast. How you doing, Steve? How's your How's your 2020 going? It is going. It's going really well. It's going really well. It's had a good start to it. Uh, spent some time in Florida at the PGA Merchandise Show and took some members to the Streamsong Invitational. I know it's been a little while since we've had a conversation, and we had our three-part series with Bob Toski. And if any of our listeners haven't tuned in and downloaded the Bob Toski three-part interview, you have to do it. It was just it was phenomenal. Uh, Bob Toski, 93 years young, just a, a tremendous resource of knowledge and and inspiration and just what a what a giver that he was, not only with his time with us. I mean, we spent, you know, an hour and a half plus on the phone. Uh, he's just he's been a super, uh, super person for me personally and for so many golfers in the world. You have a chance to uh, I'm sure you had a chance to listen to that on on all your travels and everything. I loved it. I loved it. He, I love how he, he, that was an engaging interview from the point of view of your uh, subject. I don't know if anyone has ever kicked back more questions at the uh, interviewer <laughs> in a long time. So I like how feisty he was and, and passionate. What else could you ask for? Yeah, I think I answered as many questions of his <laughs> that he did of mine. And uh, you just kind of let him go and he gets off on some tangents and uh, just tremendous, tremendous history. And to listen to people like that and get to talk with, you know, the Jackie Burks. I mean, there's, there, you know, there are not too many of them out there uh, <laughs> at all. So the, the amount of knowledge and history that somebody of, of that age has and the expertise is just phenomenal. So, so download that, check that podcast out. Uh, this podcast is, we've got the, the incomparable Bob Ford on this podcast this week, Seminole head professional. Actually, he's uh, in the last year or so, he's taken the general manager's position at Seminole and spent 37 years at the famed Oakmont Country Club. Actually shared both of those posts at the same time for, I guess, a little over 15 years combined before he finished at Oakmont in 2016. But the Seminole Pro member is coming up. Uh, very shortly, uh, just the Monday right after the Honda Classic down there in South Florida. And, you know, they have so many great players down there. They need some uh, official world golf ranking points, I think, for that one. Uh, <laughs> pretty pretty tremendous, uh, tremendous field list down there. It's one of a it's a one of a kind event. It really is. It's an aberration on the schedule where members get the among the many club pros, but also the tour pros. And it's. It's social. That is about as good a mix of a of an amateur pro amateur pro and amateur event as uh, in, a, in a one day format as as any that's ever been organized. Yeah, well, good to, job to the club for that. Yeah, you said one of your former 
players. Uh, your former captain, James Nicholas, who is toiling out there on the Corn Ferry Tour now, he's going to get a chance to play with one of the members out there. Yeah, how about that? You've arrived when you're playing in the Seminole Pro member. He's going to play with Andrew Whiteley from the Country Club of Fairfield. So that's cool. Tell me about your experience winning it. Oh, that was pretty cool. It was it was probably a couple years before all the the big guns got a chance to play. They they needed guys like me to fill in the field. But uh, uh, my former Walker Cup partner, uh, teammate, Buddy Marucci, was fortunate enough to invite me in there. And we came in there and shot a little gross five under par in some really windy conditions. I think we beat Ernie Els by a shot and uh, you know, some other very, very uh, <laughs> accomplished professionals. And I've got some paint in the Seminole locker room. I can die a happy man, I think. Well, that's a pretty good honor board to get on. I'd say that's that's a you've arrived. Well done. One of the high, one of the highlights of my career, for sure. Zero prize money offered, by the way, in this. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, they even had it was actually the first time of the year, being that it's early in the year. It was the first time of the whole season where all four major champions from the year prior were in attendance and all played at the same time in that event. They got they got pictures right in front of the uh, the pool there that uh, is adjacent to the clubhouse. And just a uh, it, it's it has tremendous lore and mystique and where Hogan used to practice. And, you know, your your experience about Seminole from the architecture side, really. Talk to us about uh, some people, I think, think Seminole is overrated. What 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 say you to, to them? <laughs> Well, listen, I'd say that uh, Seminole is an aberration for Florida golf. There it, is it any surprise that it's the most prestigious club. You know, a club's reputation is tethered to the sort of the uh, attraction and prestige of its course, really, more than anything else. And why, and out of nowhere, is it, Seminole is on a seaside plot with a huge elevation ridge running in the back of it and no internal houses, and that sort of simple formula accounts for why that golf course stands head and shoulders above just about anything else in Florida. And only, and really you can count the number of courses with elevation or contour in Southern Florida on one hand and uh, at least natural elevations, Jupiter Hills would be in there and then, but it's not much now that you have the stream song courses, which are sort of in many ways were sort of fabricated. And then you'll get courses like you'll get contours at, at Calusa and MacArthur and places where it's machine made. But you know, like to me, I think what's is important to be, people to remember is that the club's prestige only it rose because whomever the founders of the club identified the, a, a perfect piece of ground. And so, yes, is, is Seminole graded on a curve because it actually isn't flat and doesn't have homes? There's aspects of it. There may be a few. There might be an easy opening hole or the tenth hole are kind of relatively tame. But the Seminole's best moments are incredible and you have to drive a thousand miles to get to a course better than it. So, I mean, or at least, or at least 700 yeah, miles. It is very interesting. Yeah. You, you hear people that they say, hey, you know, I don't quite get Seminole. Well, they must not have played it on a, on a windy day or a, a firm and fast day, which it most of the time is. Um, the, the golf course really sits in kind of a low and the, the edges of the golf course, kind of the East and West edges of the golf course sit up on these sandy ridges and provides a lot of uh, 
a lot of elevation into the the greens on let's say number two, number eleven, uh, just some spectacular holes. Donald Ross design, uh, in yeah. case we didn't mention that, and uh, just a it's got an elevated. Uh, it's got the elevation, which is the key, and it's got in it in the routing place and every sort of. You know, there's a few holes that look feel repetitive, or at least play in the same directions. But it 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 tacks around in a way that, yeah, you're constantly playing in some version of a crosswind or downwind, um, and it plays and it really it, you revisit the property. And I love how you get you play to the sort of to the you play to the beach and that those moments late in the back nine. You know, I really feel like you you it feels like a there's so much similar to a real sort of UK links where it plays up to a sandy beachhead and you're peeking over the dune and seeing the ocean that that stuff is just priceless. Yeah, I got the opportunity to caddy there about 20 years ago. And so I've been around Seminole hundreds of times. Lucky enough, they, they let the caddies play in the afternoon there too. I think the, the caddies really uh, are a huge component of what makes that place. They have former tour players there, uh, mini tour players. Uh, the, the caddy yard there is is off the charts. But uh, the fact that they let the caddies go out there and really enjoy the golf course themselves late in the day when it's not busy, uh, I think that's a spectacular component to it as well. And uh, just a, a, the, the atmosphere of the whole club and, you know, it's a dictatorship uh, it's got one one guy running the running the show. I think most of the great clubs out there, like a Pine Valley, do the same thing, and I think that leads to a, a lot of the success of Seminole. I would, say, I, I would say this too about its club governance or its operations is that uh, anyone who's has been fortunate enough to go there knows that the club, you, every member and guest has to vacate the premises by 6 p.m., regardless of the sort of day or evening. There's no twilight golf for the membership there. And, and in some ways, that's a shame. But in other ways, what, I, the way, what I've heard it described and what I love about it is how it's, uh, it's an appreciation for their staff and to let them go and that they just shut it down. And, and obviously, if anyone has a problem about it, then they could, you know, they could see their way out of there. But um, <laughs> one other thing I want to say about Seminole is, is – is uh years ago i took the yale golf team there and we played with larry parker former partner you know retired partner from gold from uh, morgan stanley and he was probably 90 years old and what was fascinating to us from his forward set of tees every single hole was completely interesting more interesting to him than than the than, than the yale golfers because he was constantly taking on these cross bunkers that were an afterthought to the majority of golfers but he was taking he was choosing lines off the tee to make 150 yard or 180 yard carries and he would tack his way up the golf course every single shot was strategic and he was at he was at 90 years old and i remember thinking <laughs> how beautiful talk about a golf course to grow old on and if you're patient enough and you're willing to sort of play that game, um, to me, the mark of great architectural excellence is that it's it's every bit as challenging for the plus four U.S. mid-amateur champion or, or the Walker Cup teams that are coming there uh, later this year, but also for a 90-year-old, uh, you know, Mr. Parker, who had literally, there wasn't a dull shot for his entire round, so, which I, I need to shout that out. <laughs> well, that was, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of unique things about Seminole. There's over 180 bunkers that dot the landscape of that of that great golf course. And yeah, you can play, anybody can play the golf course. You can run the ball up a lot of the times, and but uh, the bunkering really dictates a lot of the play. And uh, it's certainly, certainly the, the, a really good, architectural uh, nugget there from you and 
all, all certain ages can play it. But, uh, you know, you talked about vacating the premises at six o'clock. Well, we're going to we're going to vacate our slot right here. We're going to shift it over to Bob Ford, the consummate PGA professional at Seminole Golf Club. Listen, enjoy. This is just a spectacular episode of the Silver Club podcast. Okay, but before we get to this wonderful podcast with the incomparable Bob Ford, I just wanted to tell you very quickly about the Silver Club Golfing Society. We had a great first year in 2019, and our 2020 schedule is now out. March 17th and 18th will be our first major at the Country Club of Orlando. We'll move to Trinity Forest in April. In May, we'll be in Atlanta. And at the end of June, we'll be at the major championship venue of Oak Hill, They've hosted PGA Championships, Ryder Cups, tremendous venue up there in Rochester. Andrew Green has just gone through a whole restoration. We're going to be one of the first to be able to play that. So check out our website, silverclubgs.com, and our social media outlets on Instagram and Twitter at Silver Club Golf. Like us, follow us, retweet us, all that good stuff. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention... One of the most recent sponsors is the Leith Silver Company in Scotland. Golf history, design, and craftsmanship are superbly brought together in the elegant designs of the Leith Silver Company. The simplicity and clean lines of their silverware creates a timeless and contemporary quality for both the home and the clubhouse. Leith Silver Company draws on the skills of a team of highly skilled artisans whose pride and dedication to their craft is reflected in the skill that they apply to each product. From the superb silversmithing skills to craft the silver club to the hand crafting of the whiskey barrel stand and the hand spinning of the tumble cup, every item has been created with pride and expertise. Check out the Leith Silver Company. They've been gracious enough to supply us with some wonderful products and our silver club for our society. The Really, the, the centerpiece of our golfing society was made from the Leith Silver Company. They've just got tremendous products and we cannot thank them enough. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our ever-growing Silver Club podcast and listen to all of them in our library. We've had guests like the great teaching minds of Bill Harmon or Boyd Summerhays to the characters of the game like Vinnie Giles or Jason Gore. We've had a ton of fun connecting you to all of these great people that make up the fabric of our game. And we've got one more right in front of you right now. It's Mr. Bob Ford, the general manager, PGA professional at Seminole Golf Club. We hope you enjoy this Silver Club podcast. Okay, Bob, we're going to just jump right into it. And I got to ask you real quick, what has it been like being the pro at all these great clubs? You know, it's been it's been a blast. So, uh, you know, not too long we'll uh, we'll have the winners off. <laughs> 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 yeah right yeah i mean you allude to that maybe uh yeah in a few years you might uh you might want to just kind of uh you know wrap it up and go on the the whole tour for the whole year and uh you know spend time visiting your your family you got a beautiful family three great children who live uh live all around the country uh what are, are they involved in the game and uh, share with our listeners kind of what what your your kids are up to and you know did they ever want to be a golf pro like you growing up well, Steve, it's, it's funny that you bring that up. You know, Kelly's my oldest. She's 29. <clears throat> and uh, she did on her high school golf team, but I wouldn't call her a golfer. And, and she's a two, three times a year player now. And uh, But she works for the PGA of America right here in Palm Beach Gardens, coincidentally. And uh, she's on the merchandise team that 
do the Big Tens for the Ryder Cup and the PGA, and she loves it. She's been in there for about seven years now, right out of college. And uh, yeah, it's it's a treat having her close to home. But the boys, the both boys went to uh, Florida State in the PGM program. And uh, after his sophomore year, <clears throat> my Jay, the oldest, came to me and said, you know, Dan, I, I love the golf thing. I love golf. And uh, but I think I owe it to myself to try, you know, a school of business and and uh, and try something else. I can always fall back on the golf thing. I was like, yeah, I love that. So he, <laughs> he, he did that. He dropped out of the PGM. And uh, the younger boy kind of just, you know, hit in the grapevines and did it without telling me. But I was also happy to be he had gotten in the program as well. And, uh, you know, they, they're both very – their golf IQ is high. They love golf. Uh, they're both probably five, four or five handicaps. And uh, But, you know, they're out in the business world. Jay's up in New York working uh, – in a small startup doing some mortgage business work and uh the youngest boy chandler is out in san francisco and he uh, was in the insurance business but he switched to also a startup that uh pairs software companies with fortune 500 companies and uh he's having a ball they're both doing great they both play a lot of golf uh, in their in their on their weekends and uh obviously it's fun for us to get together yeah, that's that's certainly an interesting dynamic there, and and uh, you know having grown up really uh, grew up on the 18th green essentially at Oakmont. You had a house right there on property. Uh, you know, probably a very interesting. Uh, you know, maybe you can't go in the backyard and be loud and yelling while you have the the members coming off the 18th green, right? <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. You know, and uh, but it never hit me as that until my daughter. You know, when they ended up finishing school down here in florida and uh, at her graduation they all had like 30 seconds for, for them to say something you know she talked about growing up at on the 18th hole at oakmont and, and the, you know she couldn't take her friends out back and and party and scream and holler uh, you know like most kids do in, in their backyards and it was the first time i'd ever heard that uh, it shocked me a little bit you know but uh it, it was all good i mean they, they loved it they loved going back there and it, it was uh it was you know incredible privilege to live there Sure, I, I bet it is. And and now, uh, having left that post back in 2016, uh, you know, hosted the U.S. Open there that year, and and now you know, moving on. I mean, let, let's talk about Oakmont just a little bit, though, and and you know, just kind of go back in time just for a moment. You know, really trying to find uh, questions for you that you haven't been asked. Try to do, do my research here, and uh, you know, it's 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 uh, you know, you've you've pretty much answered every question in the book. But talk to our so club listeners really about what it was like just kind of the cliff notes of what it was like to run the 1983 u.s open you know on the merchandise side and then also playing the event and playing really well it's, uh, it's funny you know as you age you know things that happen way back you have a pretty vivid memory of so i obviously have a pretty vivid memory of that and uh you know i got the job when i was 25 which is very unusual but i was in the right place at the right time and uh you know lou warson was was an incredible mentor uh to me and uh when he retired you know he teed me up and helped me get the job and and there there i was at 25 1980 and uh i knew the open was coming to Oakmont in 83 and i was petrified obviously i petrified the whole job and i had no idea what i was doing it was all smoke and mirrors the first five years but 
But I did qualify in 1980 to play in the Open at Ballastraw my first summer. And uh, Bob Ross was the pro there, and he was a Philadelphia guy. And I, I had grown up in Philadelphia, so I called him. We played a couple of practice rounds together. And after we played and practiced, you know, we went and worked in a tent because I had to do everything I could to, to learn how, you know, what was going on. And he was, he was an incredible mentor to me and helped me. He, he was an incredible merchandiser and he really set the bar for the open championship, uh, you know, in 1980. So in 81, I went over to Marion where I had volunteered in 71, uh, as a volunteer to work. And, uh, Bill Kittleman was the professional there. So I learned a great deal from Bill and, by time 83 came around, I thought I had a pretty good feel for it. You know, I'd gone to Augusta every year and, and worked with Clecty and Spencer and watching what those guys do. So, you know, you get a feel for it. We had a great uh, team at that time. And, you know, it was uh, pales in comparison, obviously, to what it is today. But, you know, it was a family get-together for me uh, running that show. And, uh, and you know, lo and behold, I qualified to play. And which was the thrill of my life, you know, to play and open at your home golf course was, you know, I, I knew at that time that uh, I would never do anything that resembled, you know, how important that was to my career. But, uh, but it was, you know, it was fun. I actually got hypnotized because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be on the golf course worrying about the other stuff. Right. And, uh, so I got hypnotized. This is kind of a cute story. I'll, I'll try to wrap it up. But, uh, you know, I've got to play practice rounds with Jack and Arnold and Weisskopf and Ed Sneed and Crenshaw and Jay Siegel and, and Miller Barber. And, and by the time Thursday came around, I was playing with my buddies, Steve Benson and Jim Albus, who were club pros. And by the time that came around, I wasn't nervous anymore because I'd already played with my heroes, you know? Right. So, uh, so I, I, you know, ended up making the cut and playing nicely. And, uh, that, that was just the thrill of my life. But the hypnosis thing, you know, as the summer went on, you know, um, you know, stayed open and club pro things that were important to me, you know, kept getting hypnotized, kept playing well. And the one, one time right in front of the state open, I called this gal and said, uh, well, I didn't get to say anything. I got her voicemail and it said, you know, she said, I'm on vacation for two weeks in Hilton. And if you need me, call me. Well, I, I, we didn't do this over the telephone. You know, I had to go <laughs> here. So I sat down on the bench and hung up the phone. I started sweating, broke out in a cold sweat. I was like, oh, my God, I can't play with this girl. And at, at that point, I, you know, I cut ties. I said, you know what? I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. I got to figure this out on my own. So <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I broke away from her, but I, I honestly got probably the only time I've ever broken out in a cold sweat. <laughs> yeah, you played you played ama amazingly that year, tied for twenty sixth, and yeah, for somebody to do that nowadays would just be uh, you know pretty astronomical. But to to qualify for that open though, I mean, you, you didn't you didn't just get an automatic invite; you had to qualify for that. Is that correct? Yeah, they they always uh, exempt the host professional from the local qualifier and exempt you into the sectional. So I got to go right to the sectional, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, you can you know, I was out in Ohio, was a couple hours away, so you can imagine the drive home, the elation that I felt qualifying. It just it was you know, you've done it. You play, you and I played together in '96 in the Open. So yeah, we you know sure what? did. You were probably uh, 
exempt as a as the finalist in the amateur but uh you've qualified no i i i I qualified for it as well but yeah but i'm just thinking i'm putting myself in your shoes back then you know you're this new professional there you'd love to obviously play in the event and show off to your members and and you know the 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 pressure that would uh you know would accompany that and being able to just pull the trigger that day just it, it had to be uh it had to be very, very difficult to overcome, but I guess your uh, <laughs> the hypnosis and everything you went through kind of you know got your brain in a in a right point to to allow you to do that. Yeah, you know, you know, once and you, I'm sure most of us are all saying, you know, once you hit the golf course and you hit that first, take the first punch, you know, you kind of get into the, your own life and your own zone. And I've always been able to, you know keep everything else in my life out of uh when i play golf it's kind of my my time away my time by myself you know mm-hmm. yeah and you but i guess being a being a, a kind of a tour player and being that and then having to uh you know even even to present day really transforming your game from being a, a tour player mentality and kind of going off in your own space to to playing with members and, and having that social interaction did you feel like you had to change your game over time to 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 make your game happen you know on the club level as opposed to the the tournament level steve no you know uh you know thank goodness for me uh, and i'm sure the longevity of my career is from this and i just love to play golf and i love to play golf with kids with women with the members with tour players with you uh, i mean i just love to play and uh you know when you have that passion to play you can overcome a lot of things so it, it really came easy to me i was a pretty natural player i not, don't have a complicated game or swing and and that, particularly that week, like like you, uh, a lot of times, uh, what you've done, I just just thought it was hot, and I made everything. So that makes <laughs> life easy, you know. <laughs> it sure does when you see that ball going dead center all day. And there, look, there's so many things we can talk about. I could have you on here for days upon days talking, but uh, and we're going to get to you know talking about the upcoming events at at Seminole here in a moment, like the Seminole Member Professional and the the 2021 Walker Cup. But you, you just alluded to it a moment ago. Uh, about your, uh, you know, your game being simple. Where did you learn your swing philosophy from? And, you know, what sort of things do you pass on to your students now if there's kind of one or two main things that you focus on? Well, Steve, I want to say that Lou Warsham changed my life when he put the ball up against the board, you know, the two-by-four, the vertical two-by-four, and uh, said, you know, when you can hit that, you'll learn how to play. And uh, I couldn't hit the cutter. Cut everything in college, and I, I was never really played much amateur golf, and wasn't very good in college. And and I got got to work for him, and and uh, he'd ride by me practicing all the time at night, you know, until dark, and he he'd say, "Don't groove that, son." And finally, I you know I was petrified of the guy, you know, he's, he's a freaking legend, right? Yeah. I finally got up the courage to say, "Well, what should I be grooving?" And he came down, he put the ball by the board, and said, "Can you hit that?" And I said, "Can it be hit?" And he said, "Of course." I said, "Well." I gave it a go and I couldn't hit it. And I said, nobody can hit that ball. You know, 21 year old smart ass, you know, <laughs> he got out of the cart and hadn't hit a ball in two years, flipped it out of there like it was nothing. I said, you can go home. I'll figure this out. And I did, you know, you had to hit it from the inside. So yeah, that really changed my life. I would say for your listeners and, uh, you know, I, I teach swing the club with your hands. Uh, you look at all the great players, every one of them knows exactly what they're doing with their hands. And most mm-hmm. players, 
I think most amateur golfers uh, and much to, you know, their demise comes from listening to the golf channel and, and reading all these golf magazines about the big muscles and, and they just hold on to the club with their hands and they swing their arms and their body. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea where the club is or how to swing the club from the hands. And so, that you know, if, if, if you don't like learning that way, then you won't, wouldn't like learning from me. So. <laughs> but the tour professionals really take, the, they take their hands for granted, wouldn't you say? Well, exactly. And that's why when they talk about the golf swing, you know, yeah, I'm working on, you, know, you watch Justin Rose do whatever the hell gyrations mm-hmm. he's doing with his hips and, and that the the guy uh, kind of can't think of his name, but you know you know what I'm talking about. This guy Alex Noren, yeah, he, he does the same pre swing thing. Thank God they don't do that when they swing. Those guys, right? Exactly. But, but uh, I think you know, just like when you're throwing a ball, I think your body reacts to what you're doing with your hands and eyes. And uh, if you know how to swing the club from the hands, your body your body responds to it. And I, I, you know, I, you watch the guys on video on the weekend and and as they're going from hip high to hip high, you know, their, their lower body's doing virtually nothing. You know, it's just, you know, their feet are pretty flat on the ground, most of them, and knees are pretty quiet. And then, you know, there's a moment of truth there where everything goes to the finish. And obviously the hips twist out of the way quickly. And, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, they're, they're, it's not like they're trying to move to their right side and to the left side. It just happens. So... Yeah, the, the dynamic motion is pretty fluid and uh, it's effortless, right? They've they've perfected it by you know ta- thousands upon thousands of swings, and certainly uh, that's that's great advice there for sure. Uh, you know, I know we've talked a little about Oakmont. Let's talk about the Seminole Mystique. You've been there for uh, just over twenty years, I guess. What what is this? Twenty one years now at at yeah. Seminole. Yeah, 21 Steve, yeah. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be there. I actually, I caddied in the caddy yard there for, uh, well, I caddied on the course. I hung out in the caddy yard. Uh, the, um, uh, back in 2000, 2001, you know, a couple of your first years there. And uh, really, it was one of the most special times I've ever had in golf. But talk to our listeners who haven't been on the grounds at Seminole. What makes Seminole so cool? What is the, what is the mystique of Seminole? Everybody talks about the locker room. And what sort of things uh, would the, uh, you know, the, the, the person who hasn't been there, what would they love to know about Seminole? Well, I think that, uh, you know, through the years, Seminole has been a mystique kind of place. You never heard about it much. It was very elite. Um, you know, the golf IQ here is, is extraordinary. Everybody talks about the locker room, which is always number one in the Golf Digest list of locker rooms, and it, it is very special and hadn't been touched in since 1930, since the building was built, and the building hadn't hardly been touched. But, uh, you know, Hogan kind of made it famous. The amateur professional tournament made it very famous. Uh, you know, everybody wanted to come down and play Seminole, Donald Ross golf course. That's really extraordinary, as you know. It's a, it's a neat golf course, but, you know, I, what makes all clubs special are the members and the culture of the members. And, you know, thank goodness the culture here is run by one man and it's not run by committee because, as you know, committees, I don't need to tell you anything more about committees. <laughs> you, you, you can tell by my voice what I think of committees. But, you know, you get a guy that runs a place and uh, – I mean, we play in from three hours to three and a half hours in, in a foursome game. And the members play together here. And, uh, you know, we've worked hard at that to make the members play together. And they and now they love it. And so I'd say the 
the golf IQ, the, you know, the, the enjoyment the members get out of being together. They're extraordinary people in their own fields of life. And uh, we got one, one runner for president right now, the great mayor. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's some extraordinary people in, in all walks of life. But, and, you know, see, when I got here, I was petrified. I was petrified of the mystique. Hmm. And uh, you know, all these all these moguls of Wall Street and et cetera, et cetera. So I spent most of my time on the first tee, just meeting everybody, watching them tee off, and just chatting with them a little bit. And after a couple of months, it's like you know, all these people want to talk about is golf, and I can do that <laughs> so, <laughs> right up my alley. So I got comfortable pretty quick, and uh, you know, it's uh, everybody's first name. You know, it's not you know not. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. and it's not a stuffy place. I mean, you know, you know, we got a lot of people that could be, you know, could hold their head pretty high. They do, but they don't. Uh, they don't wear it on their shirt. Everybody's just another guy here. Yeah, when they when they come through those gates, that's for sure. It's uh, it's all about the golf, and it's it's you know that you have a pool there, but nobody uses it, right? <laughs> it's not really no. a country club. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know that pool is for looks only. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen anybody swim in that pool? I have, I have, yeah, pretty rare, but no, I have to say I have. No, no, no cannonballs. I mean, nothing. Okay, all right. So we're not no, doing no, that. Nobody's hanging out there at the pool now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk because I know coming up uh, shortly is the uh, ever popular and and semi uh, totally famous. Uh, seminal member professional term. I think I'm saying that right. Um, talk about, I know a few years back, it was the uh, back, because you usually have it this time of year, right around the Honda Classic time. And you, at one point you had, uh, and it was the first time of the, uh, that it ever happened that year that all four major champions from the year before actually got together and they played in the Seminole Pro member. Uh, talk about the talk about this 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 event and and how it's grown over the years and and it's probably the the toughest ticket in golf. Well, I don't know about that, Steve, but it, it you know we tease it. It's the first major of the year and. Uh, Davis Love kind of coined that. I don't think Davis has ever missed a year. And, you know, it started out, uh, I inherited a, a Pro 3M here that was, you know, it was okay, but I had to corral 60 members to play and put up some money and then invite 20 of my pals down and, and play. And, and, you know, I'd get phone calls from other guys, you know, how, how come I didn't get invited, Bob? And, you know, finally I went to my prez, Timmy Near, and said, uh, you know, how about if we have, we change the format here and we have the member invite his or her, well, no, at that time we didn't have any gal members, but invite his member, uh, his professional down. And he said, you know, it's a great idea. And a couple of weeks later, he turns in a his entry form with Arnold Palmer. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he and Arnold started the Golf Channel together. And, uh, and we're great pals. So, you know, word hit the street and, you know, the next guy, invited Jack Nicholas, the next guy invited Ernie Els. And, you know, early on, it was probably 50-50 post to tour players. But it has evolved into, if you don't have a tour player, you don't play. So we have 96 teams, and 80 of them this year have either World Golf Hall of Fame members, professionals in it, or uh, or PGA Tour players. And wow. All, all the guys down here play. And, it's uh, an extraordinary day, and the guys come out in shorts, and we play in because we have so many players. We actually play in four hours, which is slow for us here. But uh, 
but it's it, yeah, it's a fun day. So you know, no money in it. Just get your name on the board in the locker room, which is a lot. Everybody wants to do that, and it's competitive and and fun. Uh, official world golf ranking points with all those great players coming through. Probably <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the next thing. I mean, if you're not having a prize purse, you know, maybe at least uh, offer them uh, offer them something. No, there's just the, <laughs> the the beauty of being able to play such a great course right on the ocean there, uh, really in the peak of the winter season down in uh, South Florida is is great. Um, you know, the, we're going to. Sh- I want to talk about the 2021 Walker Cup, but I want to reference the uh, Oak. Oakmont, where you were really famous for tree removal and and really making the, the the golf course very bare and open, but it really exposed all of the the beauty of the golf course over time. And there's been stories upon stories about all of the uh, the removal of trees and whatnot uh, at Oakmont in the middle of the night, and things kind of uh, evolved like that. But uh, Seminole, you were you were gracious enough about a year ago to give me a, a ride around some of the the recent. Uh, uh, redoings at Seminole, uh, I believe Corin Crenshaw have done some of that work, um, and and you know noticed that there was a lot less trees and and uh, native vegetation around. Talk to us some about the, you know the, the, some of the changes kind of that uh, that evolved in preparation for this 2021 Walker Cup. Well, Steve, yeah, they uh, Jimmy Dunn is uh, is our czar now, and uh, he hired uh, Cor Crenshaw to come in. They gave us a three-year plan, and, and uh, we're beyond that now. But they took out mm, gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs of vegetation that was, you know, growing through all the dunes, all the sandy areas, and uh, we took out a thousand trees. And uh, you know, we didn't uh, take them all out like we did at Oakmont, but but uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, any club that starts taking trees down, everybody's like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> you're aghast. And, uh, and and we had a little bit of that here, not very much. But uh, when they came back in the fall and saw what had happened, and everybody was just, un- you know, like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe you took a great golf course and made it better. And uh, that's really how everybody feels now. You see, you see the golf course and, you know, you want to go see trees? Go go in the forest and see trees. I mean, just uh, <laughs> Gil, Gil Hans did a nice uh, thing the other night, not for us, but for another club in the area. I was good enough or lucky enough to be invited to it, and uh, somebody asked him the question about taking trees out, and this obviously was a tree hugger. And uh, you know, Gil was just had a you know he's terrific in crowds and with people, and had a terrific answer. And you know, at the end of the day, he said, you know, if the it's either grass or trees, guys, and uh, trees are beautiful. Not many of them on golf courses, and all the trees that we've taken down through my projects, nobody has missed one of them. So uh, I think people are starting to get, get the message around the country. I think Oklahoma yeah. started it all, and uh, and it's you know the golf courses are pretty. They're pretty places, and uh, you know, if you need a tree to make a golf hole hard, you probably have a pretty pretty bad golf hole. So, <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you, you kind of brought more of the the sandy areas. Almost like the beach came back onto the golf course a little bit in certain areas, and really, you know, kind of tied in the uh, you know the, the area that you live in in the world down there, and that you know the the beachy sort of thing. It's it's uh, it's really spectacular. How excited are you for this? 2021 Walker Cup because 
it will be televised on Fox Sports, is from what I understand, and and really Seminole really hasn't been shown out there to the world. And and you know, what's what are your thoughts about hosting this amazing amateur event? Well, Steve, all of us are unbelievably excited to do this, and uh, I, you know, the competition's great, but. For the world to get to see Seminole finally, uh, it's just going to be extraordinary. And as you know, you'll probably be part of the, part of the telecast team. But, uh, you know, Fox does a great job. Mark Loomis is a member here and does, you know, he runs Fox Golf Sports and and does a great job. So we're, we're incredibly excited to, to host uh, such a prestigious event for the USGA. We've never hosted anything here at Seminole. So this is uh, really a step in the, you know, jumping in the deep end. Uh, here, but the golf course is is ready for it. Um, we're excited. Uh, you know, we we have amongst our members eleven former Walker Cup members and nine former Walker Cup captains. So, you know, our membership is uh, about amateur golf and at, at the highest level. And um, this is just one of the great events, as you know, as a as a former player in the Walker Cup, uh, how special it is for you. And and uh, it's just going to be an incredible couple of days. I'm looking forward to it uh, as much as anybody, and yeah, the 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 excitement that that is uh, that accompanies it for uh, the last few years, and you know, leading up to it, it's going to be very exciting. I have two more questions for you, and I'm going to let you go because I know the phone's ringing. You've got lots of things to do today, a lot of lessons to teach, and members to play with. But you know, since the Silver Club Golfing Society revolves around competition, what's what's a, a secret that you can share with our listeners that has kept you so competitive over the years? Because really, you know playing golf is not it's kind of your job but it's 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 not you have so many other things that you do in life how do you stay so competitive you know to qualify for the senior british open a couple years ago at st andrews or do all these things that you've done over the years and play in you know 13 plus major championships in your life well, Steve, I love to do it, number one. I, I love the competition, and uh, I feel like I've never accomplished anything, and someday I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just keep trying. You know, someday I'm going to do something. I, I feel like I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody else would would say that about you. That leads me really to the last question, really. You know, to, to you know, you you've reached the the pinnacle of your profession to be able to hold posts at two clubs like you have, and to do all the things on the merchandising side and the playing side and the assistant mentorship side. Uh, you have all these goals, but you have all these these things you accomplished, and you and to get to this point, you really had to be goal driven what goals at, at your age now you're you're 66 years old you alluded to earlier you you know you you have a few more years in the in this game uh, of golf uh and what sort of goals do you still want to accomplish in your life steve I, I don't know i haven't i really was never a goal setter uh you know i worked every minute of every day so i just uh i, I was petrified that i would lose my job that i was underqualified for my job. So I tried to outwork everybody and, and just be there every minute of every day. And, uh, so that all really came easy to me, you know, after a few years. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have, don't have any goals. I do have suspicions of my future and, you know, what's out there for, uh, you know, a retiree kind of guy, probably 67 or eight years old is what I'll be when I retire. And, uh, 
you know, is, is, is there anything out there to keep me busy? You know, I, I love being the star for the U.S. Open. That's a, for me. <laughs> and uh, in 21, my college roommate and I are going to uh, co-chair the, the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont in August. So we're going to do the Walker Cup in May and the, and the Amateur in, uh, in August. So that will be a hoot. So we go around to the amateurs and try to learn everything we can with that. And, uh, you know, something will pop. I kind of think something will pop up. I don't know quite what it is, but, but I'm available. <laughs> yeah, I know you've done some radio work on Sirius XM. You've done some uh, – we've seen you on Fox Sports before. And so I, I imagine that uh, somebody would be knocking on your door if they already haven't. But, uh, look, uh, Mr. Bob Ford, thank you so much for sharing your insight and your, your thoughts and knowledge of this great game that we all love on the Silver Club podcast today. And just uh, can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me personally and, and the game in general and uh, we're going to see a lot more Bob Ford out there in the very near future thanks so much well I appreciate it Steve you know I'm proud of you and I appreciate you having me on pal <laughs> thank you so much see you all.